Thanks to Slack for supporting Motley Fool Answers. Slack is a messaging app which brings together all your team's communications in one place, making work simpler and more productive. Go to slack.com to learn more. Support for Motley Fool Answers also comes from our friends at My ID Care Identity Protection. The recent Equifax breach has made it more important than ever to protect yourself from the risk of identity theft. 25 million Americans rely on My ID Care, and right now they're offering 15% off their plans for our listeners. Go to myidcare.com/fool to get covered. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Robert Brokamp, solo hosting while Alison Southwick is in Malta living out her Game of Thrones fantasies. But have no fear, Alison fans, because this episode is dedicated exclusively to an interview Alison did here at Fool HQ with Gretchen Rubin, the author of several books, including Better Than Before, The Happiness Project, and The Four Tendencies. They discussed how to motivate others, how to acquire better habits, and how to use the threat of embarrassing pictures on Facebook to get stuff done. Take it away, Allison. Gretchen, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Traditionally, when we think about motivation, we think about like carrots and sticks. Like if I'm going to lose weight, I am going to have to run every day and then I get a piece of cake at the end of the week, a carrot. Or if I eat a piece of cake, I have to go run on the treadmill for three miles, a stick. But your book gets more into what really motivates us at our core, and I thought it was incredibly helpful. Not only does it show that we're all different and that we all have to respond differently to motivate each other, but also how we are inside, um, how we motivate ourselves is going to be dependent on our types. And so some of you might be resistant to types, but um, stick with me here because I found it incredibly rewarding. So, all right. Uh, Your framework launched people into four tendencies, which we have up here on the screen. And uh, they're tendencies for motivation that all relate to how you respond to both inner and outer expectations. Do you meet them or not meet them? So you can see out of that, we get four different options. So before we get into them, can you tell us about the Eureka moment? Oh, right. Um, Well, so I had been working on a book, uh, Better Than Before, which is my book about habit change, which gets into the carrots and the sticks and how do you get yourself to actually change a habit. And so I was very, I was constantly looking around for trying to understand when people could and couldn't change their habits. And I had this conversation with a friend over lunch um, and she said something that I'd heard many people say similar things before, but for some reason it just hit me so hard. She said, um, I know I would be happier if I exercised. And the weird thing about me was, is when I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? And I thought, well, why? It's the same person, it's the same behavior. At one time it was effortless, now she can't do it. What explains it? And then I started seeing other patterns. Like there's certain people that I would say to them, well, what about New Year's resolutions? And they would say, well, I would keep a resolution when it makes sense for me, but I wouldn't do it on January 1st because January 1st is an arbitrary date. And that struck me because I was like, well, the, the arbitrariness of January 1st never really bothered me. And so um, I, I, I sensed all these patterns, many other patterns, and I couldn't tell how they were related or not to each other. And then one day I was staring at my to-do list at my computer and just looking down, half the things were crossed off. And, th- and all of a sudden, the word, I just was like, it's about expectation. 
that's what explained my friends on the track team. That's what explains the New Year's resolution and the arbitrariness of January 1st. That's what explains a lot of patterns that I've been struggling to figure out. It really comes down to how a person meets an outer and an inner expectation. All right, well, let's get into the nuts and bolts of it. And we can start at the top here with yeah. the upholder yeah. who meets outer expectations and inner expectations. Yeah, so upholders, like they keep the work deadline, they they keep the nearest resolution without much fuss. They want to know what's expected of them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. And then we've got, uh, which way around? Do we want to go around? Let's, Let's go, go questioner. Qu so right. questioners resist outer expectations, but they meet inner expectations. So they, and they make everything an inner expectation. If they think something makes sense, they'll do it. If they think it doesn't make sense, they will resist. And they tend to hate anything arbitrary, inefficient, unjustified. So they always want to know why. Uh, then we can go obliger. So obligers meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectation. And this is my friend on the track team. When she had a team and a coach waiting for her, she had no trouble showing up. When she was trying to go on her own, she struggled. And then finally, the rebel. Yes. So rebels resist outer and inner expectations alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. Uh, if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. And typically, they don't even want to tell themselves what to do. Like, they don't like to commit to a schedule. Because what am I going to I don't know what I'm going to want to do. I don't, why would I want to bind myself into a calendar? Yeah, and you had in your book, you had um, an example of uh, defining them by light bulb jokes. Oh, right. so, okay, yeah, yeah, good. I love these. All right, so how do you get an upholder to change a light bulb? Uh, he's already changed it. How do you get a questioner to change a light bulb? Why do we need a light bulb anyway? How do you get an obliger to change a light bulb? Ask him to change it. And how do you get a rebel to change a light bulb? Do it yourself. <laughs> so if there was a sign here that said no cell phone use, and I pulled out my cell phone and started using it, how would you feel about it? So if you would feel very uncomfortable with the fact that I was using a cell phone, uh, you're, you're either an upholder or an obliger. And if you were thinking about like, well, maybe you're going to get caught. Maybe they're going to see you coming in here and you're going to get caught on your cell phone, then you're probably an obliger. If you're all about like, well, why, like, what's the reason for the rule? Like, why, it's not hurting anybody. It's not, it's not gonna like hurt any equipment. It's not gonna interfere with any kind of wave or whatever. So fine, um, it's, a dumb, it's a dumb sign. Uh, then you're a questioner. And if you're a rebel, when you're like, oh man, yeah, go ahead, use your cell phone. Yeah, like who cares what the sign says? That's rebel. And how does it break down in the population? What we see in the population generally is um, that the biggest tendency for both men and women, the biggest tendency, the one the largest number of people fit into is obliger. Obliger is the rock of the world. Uh, they're the type O, they're the group that, that pairs up most easily with the other tendencies. They're the biggest tendency. Behind them, questioners. Questions also a very big tendency. So if you're dealing with a big team, if you're de designing a program that's meant to appeal to a lot of people, you're going to be dealing with a lot of obligers and questioners. Rebel is the smallest tendency. It is a very conspicuous tendency, but it is a small tendency. And my tendency, the upholder tendency, is only slightly larger. Those are the two kind of polar extremes. Um, I remember saying to my husband, like, oh my gosh, I'm kind of this extreme fringe personality. And he was like, well, you think? Uh, he was not surprised. Um, they're the extreme personalities, and they're not that many of, uh, of rebels or upholders. 
Hey, thanks to Slack for supporting Motley Fool Answers. Slack is a messaging app which brings all your team's communications together, giving everyone a shared workspace where communications and conversations are organized and accessible. Organize your team with real-time messaging, video or voice calls, group file sharing, and searchable archives all in one easy-to-use app. Slack is easy and convenient. Drag and drop file sharing that works with all the apps you already use, like Jira, Salesforce, Zendesk, and Google Drive+. Plus. You can tailor Slack to your work and more than 1,000 apps. We love Slack. We do. We, we run on Slack. We run on Slack. Just before I came into the studio today, I was like feverishly slacking Chris Hill for some stats about the podcast. Did you know that we have... Um, had more than 80 million downloads in the history what? of Motley Fool Podcast. Wow. Wow. Isn't that cool? So I was bugging Chris to make sure that I could use that stat for something. Um, and then at some point, and I was just like, like, st- stat, like, slack, 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 just saying. And then at some point, he's like, you're killing me. Can I? Because I was basically more having a conversation with myself than him. Because <laughs> I was like, can I use this number? Well, maybe I'll use that number. I don't know. It's okay. And then eventually he was just like, you're killing me. Can I leave? And I was like, okay, yeah, you can leave the conversation. I'll just keep going. And so <laughs> I just kept slacking to him, but I think he started ignoring me. Anyway, the point is, we use Slack a lot. I highly recommend it if you want to annoy Chris Hill. <laughs> just send him all the questions. So, Slack, where work happens. Find out why at slack.com. That's slack.com. I always knew from reading this book that I was an obliger. Just immediately as I read, I was like, I'm an obliger. Um, so, for example, I tried the. Do you guys know the break the chain method? Where if you want to institute a habit, you put a big calendar on the wall, and every day you do the thing, you put a big X through it. And it's like, oh, this is supposed to be a great way to motivate you to do stuff. And I was, no, please, that doesn't help. Only I can see the calendar. Right. No one knows when I break the chain. Why does it matter? And this last year, I told my brother that I was going to pay for his rehearsal dinner. And so I'm going to pay for it, I said, by not eating lunch out. I'm going to go home and eat. I'll save money, and that'll this save up money. This is brilliant. Thank, thank you. Yeah. So... So I did set up an Excel spreadsheet so I could track it and yeah. and so and I did it like I really only ate out maybe a couple times in this last year for lunch and I realized the reason why I was able to actually do that was because A I told my brother I was going to pay for his rehearsal yeah. dinner and B I didn't want my husband who's right there to have to feel the burden of paying for this rehearsal right. dinner I was right. like ugh I said I was going to do it I'm going to be the one paying for it and right. it worked yes. I was, ah! Ah, stupid break the chain. Yeah, maybe that yeah. would work for a I don't know a polder, a questioner, a, a questioner. Polder, yeah. A, yeah, okay, but yeah, it worked for no. Me. And I think the important thing um, that your example illustrates so beautifully is that when when obligers are struggling to meet inner expectations, which by definition they are, since that's the definition of an obliger. The, the solution is always outer accountability. Having inner accountability doesn't work for obligers. There has to be a form of outer accountability. And you had two forms of outer accountability. Yeah. One was your brother, and one was the idea that you were going to pay for something. Well, you had three. One was the idea that you were going to pay for something, so you had to save in order to be able to afford something. And then also your husband, which was like, if we can't afford it because I've saved, then we're going to have to spend our money. So you had like a triple layer of outer accountability there, which is- And I crushed it. And, yeah, and you did, and you did a great job. But so here's an interesting thing because there were a lot of obligers here to point out. So all obligers need outer accountability to meet inner expectation. That's the solution. That's the easy fix. Like, don't think about your priorities. Don't try to make time for yourself. Don't think about the reasons. Just, like, create the outer accountability. That's what works. But what's interesting is that people are very different. Obligers are very different in what they feel accountable to. So 
Some obligers can be accountable to something like an auto reminder from an app, but some obligers actually have to get in trouble from a real person. Some obligers feel very accountable if they've paid for something. Like, well, if I paid for this class, then I'm gonna go, right? Because I don't wanna waste the money. But some obligers, no. So I talked to a woman who was like, well, I was, I, I was gonna work out as a trainer, with, with a trainer as my, you know, to get myself to exercise. But then I realized if I don't show up, he gets the money and he gets the time back. So it's really better for him if I don't go. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, this is not working for you as an accountability structure. For some people that would work, for others not. Some obligers can think about their duty to their future self. Well, now Gretchen doesn't want, it. now Gretchen wants to order out, but future Gretchen's gonna be really disappointed that now Gretchen didn't make a different choice, so I have to do it for future Gretchen. Um, sometimes people trade things like, uh, you know, if your brother had wanted to do it, he could say something like, okay, well, with the money that I save from eating out, I'm gonna pay for you guys to have a weekend in the country. And so, like, if you, if you, don't, if you don't do it, you're gonna let me down, and if I don't do it, I'm gonna let you down. And so it's not like we're earning it for ourselves, which means no accountability, um, but doing it for others. But it was also interesting that you picked your brother, because often with obligers, um, spouses and sweethearts count as inner expectation. So this is kind of romantic. It's like, oh, I love you so much that I'm gonna ignore you just like I would ignore myself. Um, <laughs> you love me no matter yeah, what. Yeah, I know, you yeah, 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 they don't, they don't. I let you down. Yeah, yeah, stuff. I don't care about letting you down. And so they don't make good forms. For many people, people who are too close don't make good uh, sources of, inner, of outer expectation. It needs to be somebody who's sufficiently outer. Um, and this is fluid, so you could have a person who will do everything for his kids unless a client needs something. And then the client will always take priority as being the more outer than the children, but the children will take priority as to the wife, you know, because the wife is more inner. So it, it's, it, it can be confusing because it's not always uh, the same. It depends on what's the, who's the more outer. I'll do anything for a, a patient, a client, a coworker, a student. Um, but so why aren't you doing something for me? Well, because I'm too close to you. And so I don't have that outer expectation um, status. Right, let's move on then to talking about upholders and how they can motivate themselves. Because I think they're probably already there. They don't really have trouble with that. <laughs> yeah, if anything, um, upholders have kind of the opposite problem, which is tightening. And that's when the rules get tighter. Um, so I have a friend, uh, well, so you mentioned I have the Happier podcast and our first producer, uh, Henry was, is an upholder like me, and he was saying how his girlfriend, who's a questioner, got really into using a budget app, and was, and was like, oh, this is amazing, I have to use it. And he's like, no, I can't use that, because I know if I started using it, I would spend way too much time and energy accounting for every single penny. It would just become so tight on me, it wouldn't be a good use, and so I'm not even gonna do that, because I can just see already how it would make me crazy. So upholders need to make sure that they don't become like the mindless bureaucrats of their own paperwork. Or like, let's say you're, you're talking to an upholder, you don't wanna overemphasize expectations. Like a physical therapist was saying that sometimes upholders will do something like, if you tell them to do an exercise once a day, they'll do it three times a day, and you're, you have to say, one time a day and no more than one time a day um, because you don't want them to kind of get start following the rules more and more and more all right how about a questioner how can they motivate themselves so questioners it's always about justification and when questioners are stalling out when they're not able to do something like exercise or change the way they eat or work on a side hustle or something what my what i always say is um my, my first advice is always like go deep into your reasons why do you want to do it? Because a lot of times when questioners are stalling out, it's because really in their minds, they haven't truly committed to thinking that something is the right answer. So like, let's say you're trying to get yourself to exercise. So 
what is the highest, best, most efficient form of exercise for you? You need to have clarity on that in your own mind. Also, questioners tend to love to customize. They like to do things in the way that's right for them. So they might say like, okay, this is, I, I, yeah, I think that's a good way to exercise. Okay, but have you figured out how to make it the best way for you? Now, sometimes questioners can fall into analysis paralysis, which is when they will just, they will just um, try to do more and more and more research and that causes them not to move forward. So let's say you're not, re you're not exercising because for a year you've just been researching this, 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 this program. Um, so at a certain point you want to say, it's more important that I start exercising at all than I find the best way, but, if, but I'm going to commit to why I think there's justification for this. This is the most efficient thing for me to do. I trust the authority of the person who's telling me to do this or that I'm working with, and I'm going to customize it in the way that's right for me. For questioners, they always want to bring it back to this idea of justification and reasons. That is what is most powerful for them. All right, and the last one is Rebel. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> so Rebel is the smallest category of people, and it's the longest chapter in the book because the Rebel is the most different from the other tendencies. And it's you really have to wrap your mind around the idea that if you ask or tell a Rebel to do something, or if a Rebel asks or tells themselves to do something, they're very likely to resist. So things like to-do lists often do not work for rebel. Now, some rebels, they like it. If a rebel wants to, they can do anything they want to do, they can do anything they choose to do. So there's some rebels who can do anything because that's just what they like to do. But many rebels can't use to-do lists. They can't use scheduling. Um, the minute they say like, oh, I'm not gonna eat flour, like they run right out and get a giant uh, loaf of sourdough bread. Um, and it can be hard to work or live with somebody who if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. And you have to pay very close attention to the way you might be accidentally tripping up that spirit of resistance. So you, if, you're ever say, if you ever find yourself saying something like, well, you have to do this, we have to do this. No, we don't have to do it. We don't have to. You said you would do this. Now it doesn't matter what I said I would do. Um, rebels will often um, uh, change their minds uh, this, can be, this can be frustrating to questioners who are like, well, yesterday you said this, but now you're saying that. Like, I don't understand why. And it's like, who cares why? I'm just telling you. Um, uh, and to obligers and upholders, it can be hard because it's like, well, this was the plan. Why, why aren't we going to meet the plan? Everybody's counting on the plan. This is what we said we'd do. Um, so it can, be, it can be hard to manage that. Now, of course, rebels, they, they're very tied to their authentic self. They know exactly what, you know, what they want. They, they can do anything they want to do. So there's enormous power there. Um, but it can't, somebody said to me, I realized that with my rebel, the less I ask for, the more I get. And so there is something about, um, and, like, you, and you don't even realize how often we are imposing expectations on each other, even something as simple as like, oh, you gotta read this book, you'll love it. No, I'm not gonna read it, I hate it. <laughs> Somebody said to me she refused to read Harry Potter because everybody told her how great it was for like oh. 10 years. Um, or so, oh, tell Aunt Jane what a lovely time you had. No, I won't, <laughs> you know, because you're telling me to tell Aunt Jane something and so I won't because you've ignited that spirit of resistance in me. Support for Motley Fool Answers comes from our friends at My ID Care Identity Protection. The recent Equifax breach exposed the most sensitive and personal data of half the U.S. adult population, and it's more important than ever to protect yourself from the risk of identity theft. 
My ID Care provides concierge style service and has an incredible 100% success rate for identity recovery. With 24 7 monitoring of your information, you can join the 25 million Americans who trust My ID Care and spend your holidays celebrating instead of stressing. Our listeners can get 15% off by visiting myidcare.com slash fool. It seems like when you're talking about motivating others, it's not necessarily about incentives so much as how it is that you frame the argument or how yes. you frame the project, how you communicate yes. with them, yes. um, which I thought was incredibly fascinating. Well, and you put your finger on something really important, which is that a lot of times it's not that you're setting something up in a fundamentally different way. It's just that you're communicating it in a way that is, that is either that's pushing the buttons in the right way or the wrong way for a particular tendency. So if you're dealing with a rubble, say, there's two avenues to deal with rebels. One is to appeal to their identity. They always want to project their identity into the, into the world. So they want to be this kind of person. I choose to be a responsible, responsive leader. Um, I want to be an active, respected part of this team. I want to be a loving, reliable parent. I'm going to do the things that are consistent with that because that's my identity. I'm a strong, energetic, athletic person. That's always, been, that's always who I've been. That is who I am. I do the things that a strong, energetic, athletic person would do. The other thing is information consequences choice. You give them the information that they need, you tell them the consequences of their action, and then you let them choose what to do. So let's say you had a rebel on your team, or you're managing a rebel, you might say something like, hey, you know, we had a client come in who had this cool project, and this is their budget, this is their timeline. If we did a great job on this for, these, for this client, it could mean more projects like this, more interesting work for everybody, and more money. Do you feel like this is something you want to tackle? information consequences choice you're not telling them what to do you're not telling them they have to do it you're just saying like this is a situation what do you what do you, how do you want to act um this is easier said than done but that's what works and what works with an upholder i mean upholders they're not causing anybody much grief <laughs> you just yeah, ask yeah, them and they're yeah. like yeah got i it. mean the thing about an upholder is upholders can seem cold um, and they can seem judgmental. They can seem judgmental because things come very easily to them that don't come as easily to other people. They often don't understand why questioners keep asking questions. They feel like that's uh, obstructionist. They don't understand why obligers need outer accountability. They keep wanting to say, like, well, if it's important to you, just do it. I don't want to be your babysitter. I don't want to look over your shoulder. Just, you know, you be the boss of you, I'll be the boss of me. Rebels confound them. They have no understanding of how, it's like, it took me a long time to understand the rebel perspective. Um, very important for upholders to understand rebel, though there's so much power in understanding the rebel perspective for upholders. Um, and so often they, and, and they, can seem, they can seem judgmental because they don't understand what other people need in certain situations. And they can also seem cold because their own inner expectations are just as important to them as outer expectations. And this can seem cold to others. So for instance, you know, the big reports are due tomorrow. Everybody's big report is due tomorrow. And you're like, hey, can you proofread my report? I'm sorry, I can't, I, I can't, I don't have time to proofread your report. I got to work on my own report. What's or, wrong with your red pen? Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, I'm going to take care of me. And this is something that people often say, is that upholders are very self-reliant. Like, they want to take care, take care, take care. Of, I mean, I heard this hilarious. I didn't really understand how annoying this was to other people. And so somebody was saying, like, oh, I'm a working mother. And what I found is the other obliger working mothers are really good about, like, kind of pitching in at the last minute and being flexible. And the vibe that you get from the upholder parents is more like, well, I've kind of made my plans, so I don't, I don't really have the flexibility to help you out. And I so understood both perspectives, because, because as an upholder, one of my mottos is, your lack of planning is not my emergency. You know, like, why are we only hearing about this on Wednesday morning? 
because like you knew about this conflict Monday. So I don't really feel like I have to change my plans. This is cold, right? This feels <laughs> cold. Um, but to an upholder, it's like once that plan is made, it causes a lot of uneasiness not, not to follow through on it. Um, and, 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 and that just can seem cold. Yeah. All right. How about questioners? If you've got a questioner on your team, how do you motivate them? Justification. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing it this way? Why are we doing it by Friday? Why is it 20 pages? Why are you listening to me? Um, saying something like, well, this is what corporate said we should do. Um, this is what uh, the experts say we should do. This is not satisfying to questioners. They always need to have justification. Now, this can sometimes drain and overwhelm others who don't understand, like, why are we going? Oh, my gosh. Why are we going over this? Everybody agreed to this 45 minutes ago. It's not that big a deal. Like, why are we asking question after question? This is really important for questioners. And I mean, uh, and it's, you have to realize that they need those robust justifications. If you're a doctor, you know, they, they're not gonna do it if they don't understand why. If it's a child in a classroom, they're not gonna do it if they don't understand why. A big tip off for questioners is whenever I hear, oh, my questioner child does really, really well on the test and is super smart, but does badly in school because he or she refuses to do the homework. I'm like, it's probably a questioner who understands the value of study, but thinks that writing this stupid, dumb re book report is a big waste of time, and so is refusing to do it. And the fact that the teacher says so, I'm telling you to, all sixth graders have to, you're gonna get a bad grade, it doesn't matter to them. Those are not real justifications. But if somebody would sit down with that child and say, yeah, it might seem like a waste of your time, but let me tell you about the real skills that you're building and why we feel like this is a really important thing for sixth graders to learn how to master. And this is why it's really gonna help you do higher thinking and more intense work, and it's gonna save you time later on in your, in your school life when you're working with more difficult materials. Give that child the explanation they need, and then they will get with the program. All right, and finally, how do you motivate an obliger? We got on this, we already got into this a little bit, but Outer accountability, outer accountability. Well. That's the answer, that's always the way. It's gotta be outer accountability. Obligers sometimes resist this, other people resist this. From my observation, this is what works. There's a million ways to create outer accountability. I mean, um, my favorite example, still, and I've been collecting thousands, is a woman who wanted to get up early and she lived by herself, didn't have a dog, and was completely immune for, from snooze alarms. So she, what does a person do? Interesting question. So she used the social media ma uh, management platform Hootsuite to make a very embarrassing Facebook post that posts every morning at 6.30 a.m. until she gets up and disables it. <gasps> That's a good idea, right? Uh, so many ingenious solutions. But like your solution, relying on inner accountability, very frustrating. Plug in that outer accountability and you win a year with almost no exception. I mean, it's, it's really the outer accountability that can do it. One thing that really surprised me is that you say that this is hardwired into our DNA yeah. and that um, it doesn't have to do with our upbringing or our culture um, and it doesn't change when we go home versus work. Um, I'm not a questioner, but I'm still gonna ask. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Really? No, no. Now, I mean, obviously it's gonna be shaped by your experience. So if you're a questioner in North Korea, you're gonna to learn to tamp that down. Um, whereas if you're a questioner you know, here, maybe that would be very rewarded and, uh, and, um, and valued. Um, so certainly your experience can shape it. Um, but I really do think that these are hardwired into your personality. You're not one at 20 and one at 40. You're not one at home and one at work. Um, but one of the things is it's a very narrow aspect of personality, and so it doesn't tell you whether you're creative or ambitious 
or controlling or neurotic or extroverted or introverted or considerate of other people. Sometimes people say to me like, well, all obligers are people, people, people pleasers. No, they're not. I know tons of curmudgeonly obligers. Some people say all upholders are like really, really driven. I know slacker upholders. Um, some people say, oh, all rebels are um, narcissistic. No, I know many idealistic, very creative, um, very ambitious rebels. So all you know is how does somebody respond to expectations? It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything else about how, that, how you might look in the world. Um, but I do think that this, and you can, with time and experience and wisdom, you can learn how to, how to like, harness the strength and, and offset the weaknesses and limitations. So as an upholder, one of my weaknesses is I too readily meet expectations. I'm really good at meeting expectations and I'll do it even when sometimes it's kind of a waste of my time and energy. So one thing I've learned from my questioner husband is to say, okay, my instinct is to say yes, but I can learn to hold back and to think, okay, I could do that, but why would I do that? And sometimes I literally call him and say, should I do this? And he's like, well, why would you? Um, so I, I, but I've learned from, from understanding the value of questioning to kind of add that step into my process, but I still have to add it in. My first instinct, I'm still coming from that upholder place, but I've learned to manage it better. All right, so um, again, the book is The Four Tendencies, and you can also listen to Gretchen's podcast, again, The Happiness Project with Gretchen Rubin. Happier. Happier. Oh, Happier. Oh, The yeah. Happiness Project was your book. Was the book, yeah. Sorry. The book that I'm best known for, but the name of the podcast is Happier. Sorry. Sorry. No, 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 no. Just no. get all the happy yeah, yeah, that yeah, you can yeah. from Gretchen. It's every, there's well, you I have a better, oh, I have a better app. There's an app if you um, want to talk, talk to other people about The Four Tendencies, like other parents or or you know, people in the workplace, or if you want to start or join an accountability group, um, it's very easy to join accountability groups on the app. It's called the Better App. So everything's like happier, better, yeah. Onward, all these, yes. Who doesn't want more of that? Yeah. Gretchen, thank you so much thank for joining you. us Thanks today. Thank you, thanks so much for having me. That's the show, which was produced obligingly by Rick Ingdahl. Questions, concerns, favorite holiday traditions, Send them to answers at fool.com or over Twitter at Answers Podcast or post your embarrassing photos to the Motley Fool Podcast Facebook group. For Allison Southwick, I'm Robert Brokamp. Stay foolish, everybody. Mm -hmm.